Hello, we've come to Leviticus chapter 27. This is the last chapter in the book of Leviticus. Well, it's been a journey. <laughs> and uh, it's been, on one hand, it's on one hand not been the easiest book to get through. But on the other hand, there's things in this book that we never knew were there. And uh, as we go through the book, books of the Bible, what, the question I've had is, you know, question I have, have about the whole Bible is, what is your favorite book in the Bible? And I wonder, after having been through Leviticus, whether you would consider this maybe one of your favorite books. But if not, maybe your appreci appreciation for it has increased. Let's read. Yahweh spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, When a man consecrates a person to Yahweh in a vow, according to your valuation, your valuation of a male from 20 years old to 60 years old shall be 50 shekels of silver, according to the shekel of the sanctuary. If she is a female, then your valuation shall be 30 shekels. If the person is from 5 years old to 20 years old, then your valuation shall be for a male 20 shekels, and for a female 10 shekels. If the person is from a month old to 5 years old, then your valuation shall be for a male 5 shekels of silver, and for a female, your valuation shall be three shekels of silver. If the person is from 60 years old and upward, if he is a male, then your valuation shall be 15 shekels of silver, and for a female, 10 shekels. But if he is poorer than your valuation, then, shall, then he shall be set before the priest, and the priest shall assign a value to him. The priest shall assign a value according to his ability to pay. If it is an animal of which men offer an offering to Yahweh, all that any man gives of such to Yahweh becomes holy. He shall not alter it, nor exchange it, a good for a bad, or a bad for a good. If he shall at all exchange animal for animal, then both it and that for which it is exchanged shall be holy. If it is any unclean animal of which they do not offer as an offering to Yahweh, then he shall set the animal before the priest, and the priest shall evaluate it, whether it is good or bad. As the priest evaluates it, so it shall be. But if he will indeed redeem it, then he shall add the fifth part of it to its value. When a man dedicates his house to be holy to Yahweh, then the priest shall evaluate it, whether it is good or bad. As the priest evaluates it, so it shall stand. If he who dedicates it will redeem his house, then he shall add the fifth part of the money of your valuation to it, and it shall be his. If a man dedicates to Yahweh part of the field of his possession, then your valuation shall be according to the seed for it. The sowing of a homer of barley shall be valued at fifty shekels of silver. If he dedicates his field from the year of Jubilee, according to your valuation it shall stand. But if he dedicates his field after the Jubilee, then the priest shall reckon to him the money according to the years that remain to the year of Jubilee, and an abatement shall be made from your valuation. If he who dedicated the field will indeed redeem it, then he shall add the fifth part of the money of your valuation to it, and it shall remain his. If he will not redeem the field, or if he has sold the field to another man, it shall not be redeemed any more. But the field, when it goes out in the Jubilee, shall be holy to Yahweh as a devoted field. It shall be owned by the priests. 
If he dedicates a field to Yahweh which he has bought, which is not of the field of his possession, then the priest shall reckon to him the worth of your valuation up to the year of Jubilee, and he shall give your valuation on that day as a holy thing to Yahweh. In the year of Jubilee, the field shall return to him from whom it was bought, even to him to whom the possession of the land belongs. All your valuations shall be according to the shekel of the sanctuary, 20 gerahs to the shekel. However, the firstborn among animals which belong to Yahweh as a firstborn, no man may dedicate, whether an ox or a sheep, it is Yahweh's. If it is an unclean animal, then he shall buy it back according to your valuation, and shall add it to the fifth part of it. Or if it isn't redeemed, then it shall be sold according to your valuation. Notwithstanding, no devoted thing that a man devotes to Yahweh of all that he has, whether of man or animal, or of the field of his possession, shall be sold or redeemed. Everything that is permanently devoted is most holy to Yahweh. No one devoted to destruction, whom shall be devoted from among men, shall be ransomed. He shall surely be put to death. All the tithe of the land, whether of the seed of the land, or of the fruit of the trees, is Yahweh's. It is holy to Yahweh. If a man redeems anything of his tithe, he shall add a fifth part to it. All the tithe of the herds, or of the flocks, whatever passes under the rod, the tenth shall be holy to Yahweh. He shall not examine whether it is good or bad, neither shall he exchange it. If he exchanges it at all, then both it and that for which it is exchanged shall be holy. It shall not be redeemed. These are the commandments which Yahweh commanded Moses for the children of Israel on Mount Sinai. So that's the last chapter, like we mentioned, and it's mostly all about the redeeming of things devoted to God. So someone might devote their land to God, for example, um, and let's say it's five years until the Jubilee, so you know the amount that they devote to God of this land, it's going to come back to them in five years, but then they might decide, well, hang on, I really want my land back. <laughs> so now they have to redeem it, and they do, to do that, they would pay a fee. And this whole chapter is about the, the fees for the redeeming of various things. Or some people might devote themselves to service to God. They might say, I'm going to serve God, but then they might decide, well, hang on, I need to do other things now. So now they've got to buy themselves back, redeem themselves. And there was, a at the start of the chapter, some figures, and it said if a man between 20 and 60 was worth 50 shekels, a woman between 20 and 60 was worth 30 shekels, and so on. And there were different prices. And in all the categories, the men were valued at higher prices than the women. So it seems a bit discriminatory, which it's actually not. And I'm going to read to you what, first of all, what Gordon Wenham had to say. He said that these figures are very large. He said the average wage of a worker in these times was one shekel per month. So this is, um, you know, a thousand years before Christ. And we're talking about, um, you know, well, even earlier than a thousand years before Christ. What we're talking about here is 50 shekels to redeem a man. We're talking about 50 months wages. That's a lot of money. And this is what um, uh, the Kaufman commentary had to say about this. It says, the relatively lower value placed on woman, women should not be construed as injustice. 
Back of these assigned values was a calculation of the amount of physical work that one could accomplish. And these distinctions were not any different from that we see on a golf course today, where the ladies' tee shortens every green the course for women. So what they're saying is that these figures are an allowance for the physical strength of people. So it's not saying that women are valued at less than men, but if you gave um, a man and a woman a job, of a physical job, you would not expect the woman to perform as much as the man, but you would expect the man to perform more than the, women, the woman. That's not unfair, that's fair. We fairly expect the men to work harder and achieve more than women because they have been given a bigger body or, uh, you know, it's, it's the way that God has created them. So these figures of redemption are based on the amount of output that they would achieve. So it's just based on physical output. So there's a lot, of, a lot in this chapter about the redeeming of different things. And then the last part of the chapter is about the tithe. And it says that the 10% of everything, of the land, of the produce, of the animals, it all belongs to God. And there are three places in the, in the, in the Old Testament where it talks about tithing, or in the Old Testament law. Uh, there's the general tithe, found here. And in Deuteronomy 14, it talks about the special tithe and a tithe for the poor. There's these three places it talks about tithing. And some people have said, well, tithing, it's... Um, it's a law, it's one of the, the Old Testament laws and the laws are abolished and we don't need to follow them anymore because uh, we're in Christ now and, and all of that is true that the laws are abolished. But with tithing, we've got something a little bit interesting going on. So there are plenty of other laws which are abolished and we don't follow them. And if you're going to be technical, it's true of the tithe as well. But if you're going to look at it not from a legalistic point of view, but from a heart point of view, then what we notice here is that tithing is older than the law. So, sure, the law came about on Mount Sinai in the book of Exodus, and Moses was saying all these things, and he wrote them down, and Leviticus is a part of it. True, but we find that the patriarchs were tithing. Abraham tithed, Isaac tithed, Jacob tithed. So we find that these people were tithing not because there were laws about it, but they were tithing because they had a big heart towards God and they wanted to. So when we come to the New Testament, we've got Jesus and he says to the Pharisees, he says, um, you know, to not only tithe, but to remember to show mercy as well. So Jesus is, it seems to be saying that our giving is important. And what we learn in the New Testament from Paul and from Jesus is that giving is a big part of our faith. And it needs to be something we do, not legalistically, because it's a law, but something we do, just like Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, from a big heart. So that's what we teach here at Peace, and many other places teach that we still tithe. Not because of a law, but because it's the example of other Christians. It's the example of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It's the example of the early church. It's something we do out of a big heart, something we do because we love the Lord. So we've come to the end of Leviticus. We've talked about the five sacrifices, the burnt offering, the meal offering, the sin offering, the peace offering, and the guilt offering. All of these show us various aspects of Christ. We've talked about the high priest and his role and how he was consecrated through baptism. And this was a picture of Jesus being baptized and consecrated as our great high priest. 
We talked about the sins of Aaron's sons, two of them presumptuous, two of them accidental. And we talked about the priesthood, which is us and our role in serving the Lord. We saw about being clean, about being unclean. We learned about leprosy. And it's a terrible picture of sin, which we're all infected with. We learned that we're all called to be holy and dedicated to God and that there is a day of atonement. And that was for us the day that Christ went to the cross and we're atoned for. We learned about not eating blood. That's still a thing. And uh, we learned that there's laws that seem so grisly and tough, but we learned in them that God was setting an example not to be like the nations around them. And we've also learned that we should not be like the worldly people around us. And we got to the end of the book of Leviticus and we saw the feasts of Israel. And we saw that each one of the feasts, all seven of them, was talking about Christ as well. And finally, we ended here in the very last chapter with the tithe. And we learned that the tithe is something we give to God because we want to. And I think that's a great place to finish the book of Leviticus by realizing that the whole book is about being holy, about saying, you know, I belong to God. The, the, the Lord is holy and he's calling us to be holy. And so the book of Leviticus has got a lot in it. And I hope that as we've gone through it these last 27 days, that the Lord has spoken to you. But tomorrow, we're going to start the book of Numbers. <laughs> I've heard people say that Numbers is one of the most boring books of the Bible too. But it's not. It's not. And I say that about all the books, but... It's only the first four or five chapters of Numbers that are full of numbers. And there are a few chapters at the end that are full of numbers, but the middle of Numbers is full of stories. All sorts of things get discussed there that are most interesting. So join me tomorrow for Numbers chapter 1.